Hi, season two of Third Culture Africans is here. And that includes our brand new website, www.thirdcultureafricans.com. On this week's episode of Third Culture Africans, my guest is Eku Edewathorli. She is an actor, producer, TV personality, and an entrepreneur. She started her career at 10 years old and has been fueled by her passion of contributing to media in Africa, sees importance in doing a great job, the power of storytelling, consistency as a means to success, and she's inspired by the process. Welcome to another episode of Third Culture Africans. I am your host, Zezo Sal. I created the show as a resource for our community of Africans and African diaspora. A safe and honest place to share, inspire, motivate, and most importantly, celebrate those in our communities doing purposeful work and shifting the needle on our culture. Your support is invaluable to the show, so please subscribe or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and leave us a review on your favorite streaming platform. You are valid, you are strong, and you are just getting started. Hi, Eku. Thank you so much for joining us on this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Hi, Zizi. That's that's how I say your name, right? Zeze. Zeze. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) So you are better known as a TV personality, actor, producer, and entrepreneur. Yeah. And we'll delve into, I guess, a little bit more on your early years and and how you've ended up being one of Africa's TV darlings, essentially, (laughs) and launching into that. So when we emailed, actually, I didn't realize you had two other names and Echo is actually not a first or a second name? Yeah, so Georgie or Georgina, you know, if you're being formal, is my, my first name. Um, maybe Echo would, I guess it depends on, how, you know, in what order you put names, but Nigerian names, you, know, you have so many, everyone's giving you a name, but maybe Echo falls about maybe the third name. <laughs> and is, is there a reason why you're kind of Echo, not Georgie or Chloe? Well, it was interesting when I moved back, The one of the first jobs that I professionally got was 53 Extra, which ended up being the show that sort of launched me onto African screens. And um, at the time, one of the exact producers that was managing the show and, you know, look and feel the show was uh, Biola Alabi. And she thought that it would be better if I used my African name because when I first came back I guess maybe she felt there would be not a relatability factor there that you know Georgina Edward thought is very British I look more British you know at first glance and sounded a lot more British actually when I first moved back so she thought for an African show it would make more sense if I used my African name so I chose Eku for me at the time I wanted a name that had the same first initial <laughs> I wanted it to be EE sort of like Marilyn Monroe or as a brand it looked very strong so that was how that name was born and a lot of people think it's a stage name but it's it's not really a stage name in the sense that it's not made up it's my real name or parts of my surname and one of my middle names so aka Georgina Chloe Eku Edoa Thorley exactly quite regal actually yeah. <laughs> so your mum's Nigerian. Yes. My your mom's dad's Nigerian. British. Yes. And your mum's Urubo 
of yeah. her family's yes. Oruba and yes. you have a British father. So that makes you mixed race, British mm-hmm. and Nigerian. And you spent, I guess, a large part of your childhood or early years navigating Nigeria and the UK. Yeah, I sort of did it in chunks, really. So mm. I did you know, nursery school and primary school and a little bit of secondary school in Nigeria. And then I went to boarding school and I was about 13 and then did a chunk, you know, I was there till university. Then I started sort of, you know, working, exploring, went to New York for a little bit and then came back. So I've sort of done my life in decades, right? Casually university BA in English and theatre from University of Warwick. Yes. And then going off to New York Film Academy. Yes, exactly. So I did a, a short course there, I think the acting for film course, because at the time I had just finished working on a project, a film project in, the, in production with Damien Jones. I used to work as his assistant and I remember watching the actors on set and it was how I actually met one of my really good friends, Naomi Harris, um, who's an actress. And I remember looking at her. That's someone else we both have in common, actually. So. Oh, really? Oh, great. We didn't actually get to talk about that before yeah. <laughs> we, we I hit record, but we were like, we were talking and I said, oh, we have a few friends in common, but I didn't run through the list. And so she's one actually. She would mostly go, oh, so do you know her? And I'm like, no, but like we know mutual people, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. So I remember watching her and she's obviously, she's such a talented and she's such a phenomenal actress. And I remember thinking, oh my gosh, that I think that's what I want to do more so than this at that time. And so I, I was like, what can I, how can I get a little bit of more understanding of film as an actor? And so that's how I went to New York. So somewhere in between that, there was a stint on Britain's Next Top Model. <laughs> yes, that was, that was actually while I was at university. I think it was over an Easter break and sort of fed into summer term a bit. I think if I hadn't been eliminated, I would have had to have forfeited that year at university. <laughs> so this is with like Tyra Banks and the whole J Manuel, the whole thing? No, so this was the British version. So exactly the same format as that. I, and I was obsessed with the Tyra Banks show. And I remember one day I was watching, I think I was watching America's Next Top Model. And at the end, the ad came up for Britain's Next Top Model apply. And, I, and so I went and I printed out the form, filled it out at university, I remember, and sent it off. I never thought I'd hear back, but then, you know, how these things happen. I got a call back, went down for an audition. Next thing you know, I was, I found myself being recorded, you know, with a bunch of other girls and living in a, in a, in a, in a model house. So I was about 19 at the time. And it was a very interesting experience for me. I have to say it was, it was a bit of an eye opener and it was also a bit of a, I learned, I, I learned the hard way, should I say, that TV production is not all what it seems. Yeah. And so who were the judges you had on the show for the British version? So we had Lisa Snowden. She was a sort of a commercial British model. And I think she was doing TV work at the time as well. Obviously being a host. <laughs> oh my gosh, my memory. There, there was an Asian guy. I can't remember his name. How terrible. Gokwan? Was it Gokwan? No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Oh goodness. I can't remember. I didn't ever really watch the British one. So And there was um, another lady who was a, like a big British model in her time. She was older. Just can't remember her name either. It's terrible. We'll have to add it on <laughs> later. I mean, I'm gonna Google it. I feel like through the process of, I guess, modeling, because then what actually caused you to kind of go, okay, I'm done with the UK. I'm going to pick up my bags, go to Nigeria and try and forge a media career 
because at the time, cable TV, Mnet was now becoming more mainstream. It was becoming a little bit more affordable because it was like multi. I remember growing up, it was like multi-choice, right? Was one of yeah. the was one of the early early options, and then that became Mnet, and then the South Africans kind of came in and, and brought their infrastructure. What was the sort of motivating factor to kind of pack up back to Nigeria? It was definitely a family thing. It, you know, my stepdad passed away when I was uh, in New York quite suddenly. It wasn't expected. And so all the plans I had at that time to stay in New York or go to LA and continue to pursue this idea that I had about being this, you know, the next great actress changed because I came home for the funeral and it was a big change for me it was you know up until then you know I had never really when this thing happens to other people you you always go gosh like that's so terrible but you don't really understand Mm. how much of an impact it has when it it happens in your life and I decided I was going to stay in Nigeria for a little bit to just be with my mom to be honest because she, she didn't have anybody else and everyone else was sort of still either in a job or studying so I had you know just completed so I was like I'll stay and you know and just that comfort as well of being able to stay at home for a little bit when something crazy happens. And then when I was here, I was, I was working with my mom. My mom had a restaurant and she was obviously grieving and trying to figure herself out. And so she traveled and I was helping her sort of manage her restaurant. And I would ask friends all the time when they came in, we'd talk about acting because they knew that I was involved in that type of work. And one of my friends actually said to me that, look, uh, Emna is looking for new talent. They've got a new show coming up. They're looking for sort of like the next It Girls of TV. And I think that you'd be really good for the job that I definitely think you should go on audition. And so that's what I did. I went and I met with Viola Labi, introduced myself and she said, okay, great, come back for the open audition. And I did. I showed up for the open audition. I think I was the first person there. I was super keen. <laughs> yeah. And, and so... I guess the inspiration behind you wanting to go into film or even just TV at that point, obviously circumstance, you're in, you're in Nigeria, you are given this opportunity and you're super keen because mm-hmm. <laughs> you turn up early. But can you think of a moment where you thought, I can see myself in front of the camera? Obviously at 19, it was Britain's Next Top Model, but was there a definitive moment where you felt like, okay, I could do this? It's interesting because my dad was an avid film watcher. Um, he loved, you know, sort of the James Bonds and all these great epic films. And he used to record old films and we used to, I used to watch them and produce my own plays very young and sort of rope in my cousins and, you know, any of our friends that came around and put these plays together and, you know, like quite lengthy, like quite extensive productions for for children in terms of I'd build a set. I'd put colored fabric over lamps to create mood and all these sort of things. I was really into this idea of, I guess, wanting to be seen, but I was quite shy at school. Like I never really stood into the light in, in a way. And then I remember there was one school play and it mm. was, my friend Adora actually wrote some of the music for this play. I wonder if she'll remember. It was, a, it was called, it was Carnival. And there was an audition to be the lead Carnival dancer. And I remember us having to audition and what they did, they just play the music and all the kids had to dance. And up until that point, I didn't even know if I was a good dancer, but I went for it and I felt like this is my moment. And it, it was interesting. That was the time that play was the first time, you know, full hair, makeup. I'll send you a picture because I still have the picture saved. And that was the first moment where I felt like I love being on stage and 
being or being seen in this way or, or, or being able to express myself in this way. And after that, I, you know, just grew a lot more confident about going up for these roles or at least asking to read or for these parts. Because before that, I'd been a little bit shy, sort of hid in the comfort of being a twin with my sister and not wanting to step away from that security. But I remember that a big moment for me. And then after that, I you know, ended up getting involved in a lot of things. I remember doing a, a play called Skeleton when I was a little bit older, maybe about 11, um, that happened at the National Theatre. And it was a big deal because, you know, different governor's wives came to see it at the time. But that sort of started my journey of wanting to be involved in film or, or drama should I say? And I sort of stuck to it. Amazing. I guess having that conversation with your mom, was she supportive of you kind of going down the creative routes as a career choice? I think it's interesting because my mom is someone that chose a, like a job that was, I guess was considered a bit more creative considering her qualifications. She, you know, she changed from being working at an NPC and decided I'm going to become an interior designer. And I don't think her family got really understood it at the time. Like it didn't make any sense. Why would you go from this type of job to this type of job? So she's in a creative job. So she was a lot more understanding, but it was weird because I still think that parents of that generation still very much thought, just go and get a academic degree because it will give you something to fall back on exactly it'll give you structure and and I don't think she understood it until I was doing it when I told her look I'm doing this everything I did I think she she kind of saw it more as a hobby I, I think I'm not sure I'd have to ask her but it was very much like okay that's interesting that's nice okay great oh I don't really understand it but that's great and I remember she was concerned at one point, why would you want to stay in Nigeria to do this? You know, like, how, you know, is, is this going to make money? But I, I could see the more that I guess my profile grew and she could see that I was able to kind of financially support myself that she under, mm. she was like, okay, wow. And and I, I think when people start calling you right and telling you, oh, wow, you, you know, I think your daughter's fantastic or, you know, I love her on this or she's, she's a great this or that. I love her as this host. I guess you fully embrace it. So I would say that she never she never stood against it is what I'm saying. She wasn't that mom that was taking me to drama school or or, or she wasn't a stage she's not a stage mom. She's not standing in the wings being like come on, you know. Yeah. What was there something though about your resolve to want to build your career in Nigeria because I think media is such a huge tool for a lot of things, right? As a creative for you it's a great outlet, can be inspirational, but for the wider community or culture, it, it has such a significance. Was there a, a deeper thought into into that choice to kind of want to do it in, in Nigeria or in Africa that, that you had at the time? Or was it just new territory and this is exciting and I can add value? I think it was a combination of both. So I grew up, you know, multi-choice is sort of the umbrella company and Mnet. You know, we all grew up mm. watching watching Mnet, and so I understood that if I was going to do it, I would have to do it on a on a platform that would match up with what I had been experiencing. I'm not sure I, I would have stayed if I had moved into a um, a lower production, not lower production, or a, a less, you know, not not so highly produced production because maybe the frustrations would have overcome because it was still frustrating when we first started learning, you know, how to put the show together. Red carpet shows were not really a thing that were happening in Lagos as much that time event coverage were not happening in in the style of this show so there was a lot of learning on the show and I I guess that occupied my mind a lot but it was interesting I I found as what motivated me more and more and more was this sort of journey of finding my voice finding out 
who I was, was really tying in with the journey of, you know, African media finding out how to express itself, you know? And I found that the more I understood who I was as a person and my values and what was important to me, I realized that it was very important that it came out of what I was creating or what I could contribute because it became very important for me as, you know, someone that was really proud of being a Nigerian, that Nigeria be seen in a very positive light and that our talent be appreciated for what it is and not ridiculed in a sense in the way that people consider Nollywood or consider Nigerian content. It was very important for me that the voice, you know, the person that I was, you know, which is Nigeria is reflected through the work that I was doing. So I don't know, it's, it became this thing where I found myself almost being like, no, like I wanted to be part of the game changers. I wanted to be part of the people that when Nigeria is, you know, getting to the point of recognition, I was part of those people, you know, that contributed to that and could say that I was here from the beginning. And well, not really the beginning, but the part of the journey of telling our stories in a way that the world could understand, I suppose. This podcast is sponsored by Malay Natural Science. Malay's products are inspired by the rich landscapes, alluring scents, and ancient wisdom of Africa. Their luxurious fragrance and body care range balances 100% natural active ingredients and scientifically proven formulas to heal, protect, and pamper your skin. Malay ships worldwide, and you can buy their products at maleeonline.com. They also offer a free sample if you'd like to try. How did you navigate though, like extra, like 53 extra? I think, yes, everyone expected it to be great. And I, I guess it was modeled to some extent. It was Africa's e news entertainment, right? Nigeria's e news entertainment being your biggest viewership. Yeah. How did you kind of navigate going? From, you know, regular Georgie Eku to, you know, there's no way you could go that no one would recognize you in Nigeria at the time. The show was incredibly popular. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, it was actually. It's interesting because my home life has always been so important for me. And so I don't think I, I put myself in so many situations where I'm one of these people that I that I'm a firm believer that if you don't want to be seen, you don't have to be seen. You can get away under the radar and live your life pretty normally. And a lot of times, you know, when people get a lot of attention, it's because they want it and they're seeking it and they invite it. So they go to the places where they get that validation. So I guess the biggest change was is this idea of finding out, finding my TV persona, you know, was a journey that was more defining for me in a sense because I don't think I was that great I, I think that my enthusiasm was there and my technique was just being very positive and being well researched and asking those questions but I was really uncomfortable I have to say initially it was really it's pretty presenting is really hard because it, it's not like acting where you assume a role it's figuring out how to be yourself your best self in a way your most likable self on camera and also be comfortable just being seen you know so that for me was the biggest challenge of trying to figure out my rhythm, trying to figure out how to be relatable, you know, to other Nigerians, to Niger to my peers, you know, for there to be a dynamic and banter, you know, to get back to myself as I was when I was here. So that was interesting because when you're away for quite a long time, you know, you're out of rhythm. You're almost out of rhythm. <laughs> yeah. But then the celebrity came, right? So the celebrity element of it came and then you're now quotes and quotes an it girl a socialite and their expectations to that in society. 
And so you've now gone from creative who is exploring her voice, essentially, to having the responsibility of being a role model, even though you didn't request to be. How did that feel? Or was it like, this is part of the job, so, you know? It's interesting. I've always wanted to be the best at what I do. If I think about my personality, I've always wanted to excel. And so I think that, you know, I didn't come in with this sort of attitude that please don't look at me as a role model. I think I I did embrace feeling like, you know, I, I have to be the best at this. I have to be a good example. I have to show people what it is to be a professional, you know, and I have to be there on time. I have to be first. I have to know my lines. I have to be well-dressed and well, and asking the best questions and the smartest questions and being on par with, you know, global hosts and stuff. So it was important to me that I did very well at my job. And I guess in a way that helped me in the role model aspect in the sense that I didn't mind being a mentor or being a teacher or So for me, the responsibility of that never felt like a weight because I wasn't one of those people that was going through a, I'm suddenly under the microscope and I feel trapped and I need to go out and and dance and get drunk. (laughs) You know, know, and if I can't do that, I'm oppressed. Because it it feels like a magnifying glass, right? All of a sudden, your personal life is of interest to people. How you do anything becomes of interest, right? And then each interview or each experience that you have is about getting to know you better or getting to who is echo type of thing. Maybe I'm just one of those people that people never really got to know really, really, really well because I've always sort of followed the model of, of, I guess, other celebrities elsewhere that sort of really avoided the private life exposure and just shared what I felt was enough. Sometimes I am more personal, but really I don't think, you know, unless you're very, very, very close to me, I'm not sure how well the public know me intimately. And and that's intentional for you? Yeah, I, I think it is intentional because I, I do think that, you know, there's a lot of vulnerability that comes with being so exposed. You know, other people can handle it. And maybe I'm just one of these people. I'm not sure how much of that I can handle. Like so some people empowers them for for everybody to know everything and for them to sort of own their truth in a way publicly loud and proud but I don't know I for me there's a lot more power in in people not having so much access to you intimately you know the points at which we meet which is to entertain or to be entertained and for me to be your actor I feel like that's where my responsibility lies in a way you don't really need to know who who I'm dating and you don't need to know you know the more private elements of my life and the times when I do choose to share them, it, it is really at a point where I feel I'm okay sharing within myself. So it's, I think it's, it's a definitely a personal thing. It's more of a protective thing for me. And I also do think that I do find it really, really stressful now. This demand that the public have on public figures to share so much, or, or this this ownership that they feel over celebrities or public figures, like we own you. Or, or, or yeah, I was I was going to ask in 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 the social media era though, that's pretty challenging, no. I mean, everything is editing, right? Like, if if you look at it as a film, a lot of a lot of the stuff that you see may be a little, bit, just a little bit a fraction of what you shot. Um, so I think that you have to be, you know, very very artful at how you edit your life and present it to the world. I think you can share enough that people can be satiated, but when people cross the line into the intrusive I would say I'd be like oh, I, I don't know I don't owe you anything more than what I choose to share I also don't think it's a challenge that's me personally I honestly don't think it's a challenge maybe that would be different if I lived in an environment where the paparazzi were very very intrusive and you had investigative reporters mm. 
constantly trying to figure out how to take you down. <laughs> yeah. You know, how to make um, salacious headlines from you. And, and, and don't get me wrong, I've had my fair share of controversial articles or, you know, attacks, but I've just never chosen to dwell on them. I, I've gotten past that time of obsessively, you know, Googling myself for like, you know, like, oh my gosh, I hope everything is positive, <laughs> you know? And I suppose after after a decade now in the industry, you've kind of gone back to, I guess, sharpening the pencil at producing. Yeah. And I don't think it's ever really left your career, right? It's, it's always been somewhere in the background. Are you kind of looking at that and thinking, okay, is this my next step? Or actually, you know, I quite enjoy being, being on the other side of the camera and you know you've worked on films like Belle the Iron Lady which have had really strong female lead characters and lead stories and and it's all about sort of emancipation and 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 becoming yourself has that always been conscious for you is there something in that 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 lends itself to who you are and and where you're trying to go and and the voice that you're hoping to create? When I was working on those films and, I, and when I worked on those projects, it was very very early development. I never went to production on those projects because I was a producer's assistant. But I got to meet the writers and the director of Bell, Amma, and I'll give her my notes. My notes were part of my job. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like like what do you think about this? Okay, you <laughs> and maybe. I didn't know it then. Naively, I thought the power was in the star power. I didn't realize that actually the power was in the storyteller, in the creator, in the visionary, in a sense, because that is where the control is. When you're an actor, your job is to do your job really, really well. But after you've done that, you have no control with the outcome or the format in which you're being put into or what's going to come out at the other end. And sometimes, you know, the control that you feel as a director as well, or a producer or a creator, at the end of the day, you might get a project that you didn't set out to make, but at least there's a little bit more control. And what I found after 10 years was that I would be involved in projects and to be honest, a little bit disappointed at the final outcome. I'd be like, and also I wasn't really being offered the type of work that I wanted to do, you know, the type of stories that I did like were not really being written for me. Um, so I, I started to realize that if I wanted to to be involved in projects, that I was really happy with everything, right? The visuals, the you know, how the story was told, the cinematography, then it's very important to be involved as a producer. And that was one of the driving forces of getting back into it. And it, it's definitely strong females that inspire that. Like I always say that, you know, Reese Witherspoon starting her own company and looking for these really strong female stories has been such an inspiration for me because she was sort of like the darling of film, you know, and everyone saw her as this very sort of girl next door. And then seeing her now as this producer that is making these really great projects, like Big Little Lies, I'm like, wow, there's so much power in that, you know, being able to create stories for women and also create stories for herself where she gets to play this type of women that she wants to be portrayed as. For me, in my journey in Nigeria as well, it was like, okay, what what do, what does Eku have to say? you know, about anything, you know, apart, apart from just being a pawn or just being, you know, an isolated player in, in a big, this massive game that everyone's involved in of, of me, media and team. Like, what do I have to say that's going to change the game? I keep saying I want to change how the world views us. Like, how do I contribute further to that with all the experience that I have? You know, I have the experience of working on these 
global projects. I've been working in television for so long. I've, I've worked with the best. I've seen the best. Now I'm in a position where I need to be bringing all that to the table and showing people what I have because I, I just don't think that a lot of people understand that I have those talents and that I'm not shallow or just a pretty face, <laughs> you know? Is that a challenge though? Like the perception that, you know, because you've modeled in the past and, you know, you're an actress, perhaps when it comes to bigger projects, do you ever face any sort of pushback in terms of, I guess, changing the conversation to have, I guess, business conversations? I think people are constantly surprised by me, which this this is like a feedback I get a lot. People expect one thing based on those assumptions and then they get another thing because I'm very, very hardworking and I'm very um, particular about you know, what I bring to the table. I'm a very, very focused producer and OCD contributing creator when I'm putting together a scene or translating what I want visually to come across. So I think a lot of people don't expect that type of work ethic or that that type of profession purely based on what they who they assume I am, which is this glamorous type, TV girl, red carpets, events. And so they don't expect, a lot of people don't even know, I'm not sure people read your bio when they meet you, I'm not sure people know that I went to Warwick. You're actually trained. You know, I'm actually trained. I actually went and found work experiences that would help me and that I'm, I guess, in a way, an academic. But I, I, I'm not sure that is ever going to go away until I'm being presented an award <laughs> for the best film ever. I don't know. I don't know if it'll ever go away. I've sort of had to, it's been one of the more challenging conflicts or things that I deal with in my life of constantly feeling that I have to prove myself even after I feel like I've proven myself. So how much achievement needs to happen before it's legitimate? I don't I you know I don't know I, I honestly don't know I, because some days I feel very accomplished at where I am you know I look back and I'm like wow it's been 12 years almost I started this sort of journey into putting myself out there professionally and I'm really happy with where I am, but I think there's a part of me that is not going to feel 100% satisfied until I have a product that is either a feature or a series. And I say, yep, I did that. And that was produced by, you know, so maybe that, maybe that's what it is. It's, it's, you know, you have all the, I have these goals. And I think I always say to people that, you know, be happy with where you are at any point that you are, because there was a point where you know, you were at zero, right? And your only goal was to get to five. And that was a huge deal. And then as soon as you're five, all of a sudden you're like, I need to get to 10. And I've definitely hit a lot of targets that I wanted to hit. But I think for me, this next one is is definitely, I guess it's people understanding who I am better. I, I don't know if that even makes any sense, but basically understanding me for who I am. Yeah, I guess the question though, in, in today's space with... The whole crossover with, as you say, the intrusive demand of your audience wanting to kind of, okay, so who's the person behind the actress Eku or the TV personality mm-hmm. Eku and then the producer Eku, right? Like everyone wants to feel like they're sitting in your living room and having a coffee with you. I think I, I want to kind of digress to key roles or playing in a, you know, Netflix show, for instance, that now has great viewership and taking you out of the Africa context and with things like Castle and Castle and then, Mm -hmm. you know, sharing your passion for fashion with wearing a lot of 
local African designers and I guess amplifying the Africa message with everything that you do. Is that as a result of wanting to inspire or is that just a case of going, this is a part of the job and so this is where I choose to do it? Well, in terms of where I am in the world, in terms of being in Africa? No, but you know, your choices in, you know, you used to model, you love fashion. You model for a few brands now and again, right? Like yeah. that part of your career is still alive, but your choice almost seems quite conscious in the sense that you back for a lot of African brands, you know, your choice to stay in Africa media, your choice to kind of keep it Africa-based consistently without wanting to pursue other avenues, right? Like you could easily be saying, well, you know, I you know, would like to kind of create the next blockbuster that isn't Africa focused. So I guess, I guess for me, it has become very much who I am. And I feel like this is the path I, I believe that I'm supposed to be on, which is essentially saying that we are extremely talented and it's, I guess, maybe perseverance and just keeping at it and keep working at Keeping at it is what is most important. And eventually the consistency will come out and, you know, that amplification will just happen. That has always sort of been my thought process. A lot of people have opposing views. They think it's, you know, Africa is a long way behind or Nigeria is a long way behind when it comes to the things that I'm trying to, I'm hoping will happen. But I don't think so. I, I think that we're not far off from all the work and sort of, you know, building the blocks is going to have bigger and bigger impact and also impact in a way that will be worthwhile. Um, it is. It has been very conscious with me with African um, and Nigerian designers um, choosing to wear African, wear Nigerian, because I think a lot of people don't know how rich the continent is for talent. And as long as I have a platform that is visible, it makes me proud being able to showcase that talent and not have anyone question it and just accept, oh, that is a really great product, irrespective of where it's from. So for me, it's always like a, it's, it's an addition that I'm able to say, yes, it's like, a, you know, it's a source of pride. Yes. And it's made in Nigeria. Yes. And it, and it was made by so-and-so. And it just makes me feel, I don't know if, I don't know if it's very cheesy, my most authentic self being here. And like I said, the journey to finding my voice has been that and realizing that this is who I am and this is who I want people to see. I, obviously, like anybody else, if I was asked to come and, you know, take part in a global project, I'm not going to say no because that's part of the journeys. But wrapping myself as a Nigerian, you know, as a British Nigerian is really wrapping myself as this is somebody who has come from these many experiences. I, I'm a, you know, I'm a mixed British Nigerian and this is who I am and being able to stand in that. And I've always been really proud of where I'm from and my roots, but I wonder if I, I had stayed in a completely Western molding, would I have felt as comfortable being who I am now? Or would I just be playing the archetype female, playing to what I believe they want from me? This is what I want from you. You know, you need to, you need to fit into this box. You need to sound like this. You need to look like this. You need to look like this type of mixed or that, you know, and not being able to just say, no, actually, this is who I am and not be watered down in, in a weird way. I don't know if that's the right word, but not feel like I'm as colorful as I am now. Has there been a defining moment for you where you've kind of felt like, okay, I feel like this is me making it? It's so interesting because, you see, there's a point 
when you've been doing something for so long. Okay, so the first time I ever got on the plane to go to South Africa for to train to be a TV presenter, I had those feelings of euphoria and excitement and adrenaline. And I remember that every day on set was it felt like such a gift. It just felt like, oh my gosh, look at this. I'm I'm living the dream. You know, <laughs> I'm living this dream. And then you know, after maybe 200, 300 episodes, you're not like, this is my job. <laughs> this this is my job. And then I remember the next time after that I felt that was when I hosted the Channel O African Music Awards because I was hosting this show that was, you know, celebrating African music and it was, you know, being broadcast to the whole of Africa. And I had been, you know, selected to host this thing. And up until then, I had always questioned, do people think that I'm African, quote unquote, enough, <laughs> you know, and it almost felt for me like a double validation. Yes, you are accepted. You're not kind of in the middle. You're exactly who you want and say you are, you know, want to be and who you say you are. And I really felt that moment on stage. It was live. It was two hours. It was me at my best. Right. I was showing people that I was a fantastic host. I could do it live. And I was being validated by the continent. Right. So mm -hmm. that for me was like a big defining moment. But then interestingly, after that, nothing happened. It was like the biggest come down <laughs> because I honestly <laughs> thought after that, oh, my God, I've made it. I did it. What next? Yes. I was like, I don't know what next, to be honest. <laughs> I don't know what next because it did feel like all right crickets yeah <laughs> yeah crickets. exactly crickets and so for me the next defining moment after that was after having a child I burnt out after that I have to say it was definitely a t the, the year after that was my I'm ready to give up and take a break and I also got pregnant as well you know with my daughter so it was almost like my life was just going to take a pause you know just organically and I'm stop and I need to decide and I was a little bit down I have to say I was dealing with a lot of I don't know what I want to do anymore with my life. I don't know if it's for anything. I don't know if people are watching. I don't know if people care. I don't know if what I'm doing is really impactful. Mm. And so I kind of took that time, went away and, you know, just embraced doing nothing and giving birth and having a child and, you know, enjoying that. And I think maybe after six months, I just realized, you know what? No, I do want to take over. I do want to continue to excel and I'm going to pursue acting, which has been always been my first dream. I'm going to do it. I'm going to find the roles that suit me. I'm going to make myself heard. And it was interesting. That's when I, you know, thankfully I'd been seeing uh, Auntie Mo Abudu a lot at events and she, I don't think she, anyone knew how important it was for me to act in, in a role I felt that was going to showcase the training that I had and the talent that I had. I kept saying to her, I'd love to audition. And she'd say, oh, okay, you act. And I was like, yes, please. And so she remembered and she invited me for an audition. And that's how Castle and Castle happened. But you had worked for her at 53 Extra, right? Because 53 was an Ebony, Ebony show, wasn't it? No, it was an Mnet show. So Ebony Life came much later. They had their own channel, but 53 Extra was, was an Mnet original show. So... We were very much part of the of that team. The inception of, of news <laughs> yeah. and entertainment shows. Exactly. And we, were, we, were the, like, we were the getting example. Featured in, yeah, getting featured in Vogue, how did that feel? When I was featured in Vogue was just before I, I got this job. I've been featured in Vogue in different ways. In, you know, Later on for my style as an actress, interestingly enough, as a Nollywood actress. Um, the first time I was featured in Vogue was just more as a girl about... London with her sister <laughs> who had interesting style and lived in, in you know and this how home and style came together so 
people had seen that interestingly before everything kicked off here. And that was exciting separately because obviously I was obsessed with Vogue. I mean, one of my dreams as a child was to be on the, is to be on the front cover of Vogue. And maybe it's something that will still happen. <laughs> hey, given what Missan was able to, to achieve, um, you know. <laughs> Being the first photographer, yeah. Yeah, I don't think it would, were that far off. What kind of keeps you inspired now? Like, obviously, we're all living through a very interesting time. Yeah. I don't know how movie sets are or TV sets are operating a la COVID. We're seeing a lot of living room and bedroom content. (laughs) And we're seeing a lot of creativity come out of COVID-19, right? And lockdown life. What kind of keeps you inspired and has kept you inspired over the last, you know, you've been in the game now, what, 15 years? Like as an adult, that is. What keeps you inspired or has kept you inspired? To be honest, I think what keeps me inspired is when I see other creators in this environment um, create things that I didn't think was possible on the budgets that they're given. And, you know, seeing things on screen that are a fraction of what are being spent in the West and still, you know, getting something that is amazing. It, I feel like that's what ins- I mean, watching content that is happening, that's being created globally is always an inspiration. I think that's an, always an inspiration for every sort of creator is seeing other really sharp minds put together these amazing projects. But what really inspires me is is knowing that what I envisioned in my mind can come out on screen in this environment, I have to say. And one of the people that I was really fortunate to come in contact with was a filmmaker, like writer and creator, Bibi Shashere, and work with his company, Nemso Studios, who are filmmakers and, you know, and who I've been working with and producing all their content now for the last couple of years. And being part of a, a team, you know, being part of a tribe that everybody has the same goals and we're so excited when we can achieve things that, you know, just look amazing whether it's a really well-executed acting scene or a really amazing visual effect. The cinematography looks phenomenal or the costume comes together. We've done shoots on location out of out of um, Lagos that we've, you know, I've produced. It's been crazy. We've produced amazing things out of such minimal resources and it, it looks world-class. Mm. That keeps me inspired, I have to say, because it's so exciting to be able to create in that way. And so... That for me is very inspiring and I, I'm really hoping that our next steps are really much about creating, like you said, these projects that now that the world is so connected, we can and wear small. More, and small that people get the opportunity to see us smaller filmmakers making things that hopefully break ground in a way that inspires other people the way that we are inspired. So yeah, that's what's keeping me motivated. I remember the dream used to be so big, you know, when I was younger, I wanted to be standing on a stage with with an Academy Award. And I realized now that it's not so much the end goal anymore. For me, it's it's the process being great, you know, is Mm. being able to come to a project and feel really excited that we're going to turn a concept into a reality, I have to say. And if that gets accolades, great. You know, that's even better. Great. We, you know, our efforts have been acknowledged, but just being able to create at at this time, for me, is the most exciting thing at the moment. Mm. This this is what is getting me buzzed. (laughs) Nice. Well, it sounds like we will probably be hanging on for a produced by Eku something in the pipeline. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, I'm excited to see what comes out of that. I think we are in a unique time and, 
you know, one of the core pillars of, of the podcast is to, I guess, have these fly on the wall conversations that otherwise aren't being had in public for anyone who's looking for references of people doing stuff and, and what that looks like. But at the same time, I think there's something in it that is celebratory of the people of, on the show. And also in alternative industries where, you know, you're not sure how someone ends up becoming, you know, actor, TV personality, etc. And just, you know, pulling the lid on these careers and celebrating your career and input and contribution to the culture. Because I think with 53 Extra and a lot of the projects that you've been involved in, they've been really culture defining for, you know, the generation for, for the last decade. And even though there's been another generation after that, like you said, you know, you guys were the guinea pigs and the, <laughs> uh, and and seldomly celebrated for figuring it out on the job. And like you said, it, it, there's a lot that goes into creating in that way. And I'm excited to see, you know, what you create on the other side of the screen. And I'm thankful that you have made the time today to come on the podcast. Well, thank you so much. <laughs> thank you for having me on the podcast. Um, I don't know, it's it's always nice to reflect, I think, and look back. Just like, like you said, just how everything has sort of fit together. It sometimes feels totally random, but <laughs> when you look back, you realize that the pla- there's always been some sort of plan. There's purpose in the mission. <laughs> there's, yes, there's been always been some sort of purpose. And I, I have to say that it. I do not take it for granted I have to say that there is like a generation behind me that you know that is similar to me or has had similar experiences growing up or um, similar mm. families that may not have approved of them moving back to do entertainment here and can at least say well it's worked out for her so therefore let me give it a try and it's also important to like I said to have people come home and utilize these global experiences that they have to sort of help, you know, and to mm. add to add a different point of view and to add more. Because for me, that's that's the whole point, really, to bring our best, our A game. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Eku, for joining us in this week's episode of Third Culture Africans. Thank you. Look forward to hearing the podcast when it's out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for joining us on this episode of Third Culture Africans. We are building a community of leaders and game changers and would love you to join in the conversation on thirdcultureafricans.com. Subscribe for news, for tips and more useful resources on today's topic and more episodes to ignite and inspire your entrepreneurial journey. Carry on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Third Culture Africans. Your ratings and reviews are important to us, so please leave one on your favorite streaming platform and help us amplify our voices. Until next time, you are valid, you are strong, and you are just getting started.